Welcome everyone to Detest This, a podcast by Detester Magazine, a youth-led platform that strives to amplify BIPOC activism through creative expression led by your host, Sophia. Visit our website, detester.org, for publication updates, follow us on all social media platforms such as Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more at Detester Magazine to support our latest work. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Detester. Today we're going to be talking about minorities and how exactly they're represented on media. And I want to start this off by saying it was not too long ago where my class in the brief aftermath of a student presentation on Asian representation in Hollywood had a discussion about Shang-Chi and whether or not it sized up to our expectations of a truly representative worth the hype film. And while in that blazing debate, I found myself questioning why exactly I could think of such a film as really touching and powerful and a definite step forward for Hollywood, but others could find it misrepresentative and kind of not worth the hype and dissatisfactory. And although your opinions on Shang-Chi may differ, the underlying themes are still the same. How do we best address the seeming incompetence of racial minority narratives? And is there ever a single minority narrative? Just a disclaimer, I just want to note that the minorities discussed um, in this episode today are more specifically referring to racial minorities. However, there's so much more to be said about different communities, such as those in the disabled uh, minority community, those who are queer, all those things definitely have a lot more to be said about them, and we could possibly have another episode talking about them. But in recent years, it's definitely true that members, the number of people of color on screen has greatly increased. But if we look at examples of such movies that have a significant portion of its plot or storyline based on the racial identity, many of them have suffered from backlash of being unrepresentative, problematic, or just downright stereotypical. And besides Shang-Chi, which is an an example that I just talked about that suffered from the same criticisms, other films that exemplify this are abundant. And just to start us off with naming a few, I just want to note In the Heights. So for those of you who don't know what In the Heights is, it's a Netflix adaptation, which was released very recently in 2021. And it's based off the musical In the Heights, which covers the story of gentrification of Washington Washington Heights, which is a Manhattan neighborhood of people, with people of predominantly Afro-Latinx heritage. And the story itself focuses on the importance of community and has vivid references references of Latin American culture throughout the film through places such as bodegas, hair parlors, and music. So it just filled with a lot of really interesting aspects of Latin American culture or Latino culture. And even though that's all you know well and good, the musical has been accused of being colorist, which is that most characters, albeit their background, are still people of color and they're still not white, which is practically the bare minimum, are still light-skinned actors. And the only dark-skinned cast members were background characters or those that did dancing, basically had little to no lines, except for like Benny, love you Benny. But it shows how basically this film was criticized because they didn't accurately depict the Latin diaspora. And this wasn't like because of the plot per se, but because of the casting and who was actually represented in the film. And I just want to note that when asked a question by an interviewer uh, towards the director or the producer of the film, the basically the response that they gave in response to you know accusations of colorism was that they did what was most fitting and they found the best actors for the role. It's like it was more about quality and they didn't really consider taking in skin color and you know identity into the mix when they were hiring or casting these people. And do with that response what you must. 
but many of this, many of people who watch this interview or questioning the colorism in the film as well, found it to be, you know, not a good answer because at the same time that he says that they couldn't find enough good actors or like they couldn't find suitable actors who are dark skinned. Um, it also implies that there are no good actors or, you know, that the dark skin community just simply weren't the right fit for this movie, which doesn't really have that good implications. So yeah, that's just one example. But another thing that probably might come to mind or maybe not actually, because the criticism has actually been fairly veiled with this topic, but it's the movie Crazy Rich Asians. So for those of you who don't know the movie, it's basically following Rachel, which is this professor. She's a professor, Chinese American, I think. And her boyfie, Nick, on a visit to Singapore for a friend's wedding. And basically in Singapore, Rachel finds out that her boyfriend, Nick, is basically part of the richest family or one of the richest families in Singapore. And she has to keep up with that. And also the disapproval of her, of Nick's mom. And, you know, the falling conflicts that come from that and basically the clash of traditional maybe east asian chinese culture and you know more so who rachel is which is not very not very rich um not very close to her heritage and all that stuff so it's a pretty interesting movie i would recommend you watch it if you haven't um but there's that still doesn't mean that it doesn't have any criticism so one thing that the movie has been criticized of is that it represents the glamorous and the elite of Singapore while leaving out narratives of the lower class, especially since the country has a heavy wealth gap that also reflects racial, racial relations. So like in the movie, you see basically the richest of the rich, you know, parting it on, having a lot of fun, but we get little to no depiction of, you know, the rest of Singapore or, you know, the poor class people as well, which typically correlate to a lot of Southeast, Southeast Asians and South Asians in general, which also exists a lot in Singapore. So that was one of the criticisms in there. But secondly, it also shows a lack of South Asian and Southeast Asian representation. So like I said, this is just coming off of the wealth gap, wealth inequality point, but Singapore is a fairly diverse place. I went there once for an MUN conference. It was really, really nice. Um, yeah, but while I was there, I just couldn't help but notice that the city had or like the, <laughs> the city and the country had so many different cultures, different ethnicities. It was all really, really interesting. And I love Singapore, but I feel like the movie does neglect a lot of South Asians and Southeast Asians. You don't see any of them unless they're like serving as butlers or servers in the film. And that was another thing that could have been um, criticized about on the film, on the film. Yeah. And lastly, and probably the most interesting is that the film basically does nothing to actually create a new plot, a new genre for Asians or East Asians in specific. Whereas the same power dynamics where you see Hollywood depicting a really rich family at the top who has a lot of power, a lot of money, very glamorous, luxurious lifestyle. What they basically did is they swapped the particularly like typically white character who would play these roles and just swap an East Asian character in there. It's a very, very Hollywood basic plot and it basically shows how the film lacks kind of a uh, complexity to it wherein they just substitute you know this typical like fairy tale i'm rich and oh suddenly you know i'm gonna be souped into this a uh, powerful dynamic of a family that typically was represented by a white person or like by white families and there's a lot more to be said about that but that was just the general 
overview of the criticisms with Crazy Rich Asians. So this also shows how even if it is a film about minorities or about East Asians, people still think that it can get things wrong and it isn't being representative enough and all these things. And the last thing I just want to say as an example is Green Book. So Green Book is a movie that follows a Black classical pianist and his Italian-American driver as they travel across the segregated South in 1960s America for you know his piano tour, which is very fun, very cool. And it's based off a true story. But besides that, the film was basically criticized for the portrayal of the Black struggle in the Jim Crow era, that they make light of an era with rampant racism and yet never mention the very thing that helped them, that helped Black Americans with this, which is the Green Book, which, you know, is literally the title of the movie, but yet they never actually mention or discuss the book between the characters and even go into the depth and the importance of it. And for those of you who don't know what the Green Book is, I highly suggest you guys to like look into it or do some more research because it's very, very important and also interesting to the African-American story in in that era of segregation, of intense segregation. But it's basically just like a book or a manual in which African-Americans use in order to um, at least protect themselves from assault or racism and at least coexist a bit more safely in society when they were dealing with a lot of white bigots or racists, no, no matter what era they or no matter what area they were in. Yeah. And while I was doing research about this, one quote that's really stuck out to me about why people disliked it so much and what exactly was the problem with Green Book was this. The movie clearly exhibits Hollywood's unfortunate tendency to elide reality when making movies about historical racism. It takes the name of an important artifact of history, which they're referring to as Green Book, one of whose very existence was the result of prejudice and entrenched white supremacy and makes it the basis of a broad comedy. This is from Vox, by the way, and you can search up like Vox Green Book and you'll probably find it. I just thought it was a very, very good and, you know, articulate quote, which shows what exactly the problem was this movie, with this movie is. And even though it is a historical example, it still shows the portrayal of race, how the portrayal of race can easily be misguided and kind of making light of the situation, making light of one form of representation for the community, for the African-American community and not show the entire story as in they mistake the details of the Green Book, they leave out the nuance and the complexity of that and the role that it played in these people's lives. And, you know, that just was a thing that people thought they could do better on. Yeah. So, of course, the criticism of these films were only a portion of how they were received by the general public. Um, if you're surrounded by people who watch these movies, you probably know that they all found it pretty interesting. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deny that that I was also part of that community or like I also thought that the majority of these movies were pretty good. I've never watched Green Book, but I have watched the first two and I've also watched Shang Chi. And during those times, I never actually thought explicitly about what was wrong with them until I did a bit more of a you know diving in, doing more research about these movies, and then I found such criticism about it. But that got me to think that most of these minority films are often celebrated regardless of content, like simply because they do a relatively difficult thing, which is to tell a story about people previously unheard of or rarely told. So if you think about it, at least for me, I feel like the bar for representation for Asians on media is extremely low. Like as long as it's not a blatantly racist character, I'm probably going to be happy seeing someone who looks like me or who is the same, who 
is also Asian on screen, simply because of the fact that like, I was, I just don't see them that often. Like my first thought when I see an Asian character is, oh, Asian representation, let's go. And that means, or at least that means that the bar is so low, I think on first sight for many of us. And it's very sad, but I think just goes to show that a lot of us feel so deprived of this representation that often it's gonna take not a lot to please us, which is a good and both bad thing. We can think more about that. But for those reasons, it's so important to recognize why exactly media representation is something so powerful and deserving of awareness. Personally, seeing, seeing people who look like me and have cultures similar to me is something I find both moving and really just nice to watch and comforting to watch. For more information about like how bigger breakdown of how exactly movies and media impact us, I highly recommend doing a bit of an online search to see studies or art articles that elaborate more on such topics. And these are only a few examples, whereas I'm sure of many of us listening can think of many more that have misrepresented um, a community or minority. And we personally felt like that wasn't good, that they could have done better. So given that the representation of the minority experience is often misconstrued or misrepresented, that raises the question, is there a minority experience in and of itself? And for the time being, I just want to note that I think the answer is no. Because minorities in our experiences, or just humans in general, all exist on a spectrum. There is no grouping of one experience, and there never can be. Just like how both you and I can be East Asians, or you know, another race, or another ethnicity, there's no saying that our experiences can be, as an East Asian, exactly the same. And because of this, there is no authentic way of expressing people, but there are authentic ways of expressing certain experiences of certain groups. So where exactly do we go from here? And I just want to introduce a concept or ideology, you know, what have you, called multiplicity. And even though it's not specifically used in like a race-based context, it has a lot of different meetings in different areas, like in philosophy, Michael Foucault, um, in mathematics, a lot of different things. Like multiplicity, you might have heard it in these different things, um, in these different areas. I'm pretty sure I pronounced that guy's name completely wrong, but yeah. So. Basically, in a lot of different fields, multiplicity means a lot of different things. But if you know roots or just <laughs> you can like guess from the name what it means, it, it they're all talking about like multiple perspectives and multiple origins, hence the name multiplicity. And I feel like this can also be applied to race and our perceptions of minorities and media. So in order to improve our outlook on minority representation, we should strive towards consuming different stories from different sources and keep in mind that reliance on one story to portray all one of minority groups is dangerous, right? So the way that media portrays certain races or ethnicities can often lead to skewed impressions, no matter how small. Like, logically, if you think about it, it just makes sense, right? If you see a character always being portrayed in a certain way, you're likely to internalize it and accept it as the only lens to view that group in. And the effects of this have increasingly been proven. So, for example, a 2011 study by the Opportunity Agenda revealed that the misrepresentation of Black men in media has real-life implications. So, negative mass media portrayals were strongly linked to with lower life expectations among Black men. And there's also a lot of interesting studies about how minorities or people of color are treated within the medical field. Like, if you just think about it, lower life expectations equals bad treatment in the medical field. And these portrayals reinforce in print media, on television, the internet, fiction shows, like in video games, these all shape public views 
and attitudes towards men of color. They not only help create barriers to advancement within our society, but also make these positions seem natural and inevitable for many of these people of color. So it also shows how these media represent misrepresentations create problematic attitudes within audiences, not the least of which being a persistent, persistent antagonism towards black men. So because of this, this is just like kind of a very big or, you know, big impact example of how media misrepresentation can affect different people of color, uh, specifically in, res in regards to black men. But it's just really scary to see how much power the media or how much power, you know, television, movies all have over us, because if we continue to see people portrayed in some sort of light, um, it not only can skew our perceptions of them in an unconscious manner, but also result in our treatment and how we actually um, see and, you know, deal with these people and their struggles in real life as well. So multiplicity based in a race-based context means seeking multiple truths rather than just one authentic experience. To be realistic, most of our experiences co probably come from large and powerful corporations. For example, Disney and Marvel, who basically have like a power monopoly on the movie and film industry. Um, and we've watched since we were little, right? They have the power to market towards the most common individual and they're the most popular or trendy in general. Like, Marvel comes out with a movie, a blockbuster movie, every single year, or like every two months. I don't know. That's an exaggeration, but you get the point. And even though watching the newest Marvel movie in theaters or viewing the latest Disney Plus TV show may now include more stories about people of color, by no means should you believe it as your only source of minorities and the experiences that they go through. So when minorities are only represented as one, it's easy to leave out other experiences and ideas that also exist and perceived communities as monolith, which, wow, what a coincidence, that's the title of this episode. So for example, just of like this phenomenon, let's see that, let's look at the stereotyping of Asian Americans in Hollywood, which I'm sure a lot of you guys probably have heard of or know about. So by perpetuating a single, a singular identity or core characteristics of what Asians should be, such as a model minority, or portraying Asian women as submissive and docile, Hollywood continues to deprive Asians of well-rounded, dimensional characters that are more than just a stereotype. And it's dangerous to accept what one sees in the media or what one sees on the big screen as the only Asian identity, because the Asian population is much more diverse and has a ton of different people, regardless of how they are portrayed on TV. So this just goes to say that the things that you watch on television that come from one source, come from one big company, often are not the ones that you should rely on to perceive them as. And to this, you might say, well, of course not, like, I'm, I'm not dumb. Like, I know if I see an Asian who's like a tech nerd on TV, I'm not just gonna internalize that. But oftentimes it is unconscious. And if you, the more that you see of some person, the more you're gonna be like, um, I'm used to seeing them in this light and in this light only. And that's why it's so dangerous to just keep on digesting the same story, the same narrative over and over. And that's exactly why we need multiplicity. Okay, so now that we've laid the groundwork for why multiple multiple perspectives or multiplicity as a concept should be applied in the way that we intake media, what's the next step in realizing the problem? So while Zina and I were doing research for this episode, something important that we discussed was the answer. The answer to expanding good representation really can't be found in big corporations in the capitalist structure. Um, what are the reasons for this? I think for one, Hollywood is probably the most surface level, fast and furious way of digesting stories and seeing people different from you, right? 
Hollywood is probably the only time where if you live in like, I don't know, a more secluded place, or if you live in a culturally homogenous place or ethically homogenous place, Hollywood is probably the only way that you see, I don't know, people that look different from you, who act different from you, or like come from different backgrounds. Because where else are you going to see that represented in a story where you get to, you know, see characters play out these roles? So why is this so bad because stereotypes are reinforced in hollywood and for a few predictable reasons right like if we think about it hollywood has typically been created by non-people of color they've been dominated by like whites by non-minorities forever and they also have been historically catered to non-people of color so people in the audiences were mostly white that was who the hollywood directors were um catering to who they wanted to uh, approve of get approval from all these things kind of make sure that Hollywood has historically been ingrained towards a white, non-people of color perspective. But also, stereotypes have only recently been like been deemed bad and shameful by society. Like, there's a new wave of cancel culture and political correctness. That means companies have only had the motivation for minority representative, like representation once it was praiseworthy and applaudable, and you got a lot of clout. Like, I think the reason why a lot of companies are now starting to be more inclusive and more diverse is not because they suddenly had this intention to do so and they genuinely wanted a lot of representation, which does sound a bit cynical, but ultimately these companies are very much clout and money driven. So if you provide like another white character, people are probably not going to be as interested because it's been done before, you know, the story has been the same over and over again, typically, and people might not be as interested because, you know, there are tons of other white superheroes or white Disney princesses. But if they come with a new story with like a person of color and they have like a whole new plot line, whole new story and setting based off of that, I feel like it's in a lot more of the company's interest to do that because not only do they get to market themselves as diverse and inclusive and oh, new wave, that kind of stuff, but also it's just like a new plot line that they can make a lot more money off of the new character. Yeah. So honestly, the media never creates trends. They follow them. And only now has it become very trendy and applaudable to be diverse and inclusive now that's when media companies have followed suit like large media companies have followed suit so for example green book largely caters to making light of racial of a racial situation to which the audience members who predominantly are, are white can laugh off that era and be thankful of how times times have changed and how people are much better now i don't know why i just suddenly got <laughs> spoke like that but yeah excuse me Therefore, in order to find a spectrum of minorities that can be the most versatile and genuine, we should turn to other sources that are more likely to give us different perspectives instead of the same stories. So instead of just like waiting and waiting for Hollywood to give you a better story or better representation, try looking into things around you because Hollywood is never going to give you the full story. They're never going to go fully in depth because ultimately, if you genuinely want a piece of accurate representation that dives into minority culture, um, Hollywood is not the right place because what they do is ultimately try to get a lot of money, a lot of attention, be the most sensationalized, the most appealing to, you know, mass consumer audiences. And that just sadly means that it's never going to be that representative and that in detail. Um, and that may seem like an exaggeration or overgeneralization, but I think that's generally a case for a lot of these films. But it doesn't mean that we should stop pushing for change in them, which I'll talk about a little bit more later on in this. So think of film and books and, a, and art in a bigger frame, right? Not find multiple sources, 
not just going to Hollywood, but supporting small creators that may be more local and come from more indie production companies. <laughs> so if you want to stay within more mainstream media, like even if you want to do that, try being cognizant of people of color creators in the industry, even if they might not be getting the most attention. So for example, a few rising people of color creators to potentially feature is Carlos Estrada in Blindspotting and the Iranian American director, Anna Lily Amirpour. Also the Chinese filmmaker, Chloe Zhao, um, who directed No Man Land and Eternals. So all these people are people of color and they probably have a unique perspective more so than a tra traditional director or a traditional actor within these films as well. So just try to keep on the lookout, you know, recognize credit where credit is due and see what exactly these people are doing and why is it so important, right? So it's important to be aware of who exactly are behind these films, where they grew up and what their intentions are with the film. That way you can kind of make a better judgment about how am I going to internalize this film? Should I be internalizing it? And what is there to be held accountable with this film? And like, what is there not? And I know this might seem like kind of a lot to do when you just want to watch a simple movie, but I think it doesn't take a lot of time to just think about where you're getting your media sources from and whether or not you should trust them and whether or not these people are going to be accurately represented like in relatively to other things. So for example, when you go to the film, like when you go to, you know, movie theater and you see a film and you think it's great, I think it's also a good way to like see how different communities have responded to this film. What are the good things? What are the bad things people have said about it? And not only does it help you with your own um, experiences with other minorities, which you might not have a lot of chance to do, but also gives you a lot of like extra knowledge, you know? Personally, I find it fun when you research a lot about the background of these movies because I just find it so interesting what goes into them and what is the thought process. But hey, that might just be me. Um, yeah. <laughs> so this way, we not only expose ourselves to many different perspectives and create a more holistic view of one story, but also find a lot more of small creators and support them in their endeavors. So this is not to say that you can't still support Hollywood or big name movies, because I think at the very end, we still have to admit that they show an effort and probably still represent a lot of people's experiences, even if it might not all be accurate. So you should applaud their efforts and encourage them and recognize that it is a step forward but keep those who produce accountable and make sure that the stories that you are supporting are actually stories that should be supported and that, you know, do a general good in representing people. So I think this ties back ultimately to the question and the conclusion I came to Shang-Chi, which is that personally, I found the film was a step forward, a historic one at most, like, like at the very least, because it does so much to actually like center the story around a main character of like East Asian descent and actually show him and portray him in a masculine, I don't know, cool way instead of the typical East Asian weak, badly spoken, you know, character that we see in a lot of times that it might be a little bit hard for us to talk about because it's just so offensive, so racist. So personally, I found the movie, the movie very moving, um, but I can definitely see the criticism that surrounds it. And I want to support and make sure that the criticism is heard so that we do better on future films to come. So this is to say that like, it's a win-win, right? So even if you don't have the movie in your background or like have the, like a big name Marvel movie in your toolkit, if you go around and you support smaller, act smaller films, smaller theaters and different perspectives, you're more likely to find things that actually suit you and give you the representation that you need, but also support smaller, creators and smaller audiences and of itself, right?
So in conclusion, there is no one minority experience and the things we watch and read should reflect that. However, this does not mean that we can't appreciate or critique the media that we see, but just keep in mind that this is not the end all of the media that we want to do and that there's still countless of opportunities to do better, to represent more stories and just generally expand the audience that you're catering to. So even though media should be found from all sorts of sources, the paradox is that Hollywood representation is still important, even though it will never be perfect. And it should not be counted on for solid representation, but it should be counted on for good and decent representation at the very least. It reaches so many people that is worth, and that is some, worth something, but it cannot be the basis of evaluating and including multiple minority perspectives in media. That we have to conclude is something that you should do yourself and finding different sources and different representations is something that is both fun, but also extremely, extremely rewarding if you wanna have a more holistic view of minorities that you typically don't have um, from Hollywood or from big media. So often one story is not enough to understand a library that is the culture of one race or one group. So we should always keep that in mind and therefore we come to a conclusion with this episode. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Detest This. Be sure to follow us at Detester Magazine on all social media platforms and visit our website, detester.org, for products, publications, events, and how you can get more involved with us. Thank you again, and be sure to tune in to our next episode.